Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365 day returns. That brings my memories. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Football History Podcast with myself, Nick Hart, and my co-pilot, Mr. Neil Fissler. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hello, mate. How are you going? Sorry we haven't put one out in quite a long time, but we've been rather busy with work and life getting in the way. So we're going to make up for it. We're going to, yeah, we're going to knock out a two or three over the next few days and uh, flood the market the- again. So joining us on what I consider to be a very special show, because um, as a Millwall fan, uh, this 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 player is one of our, our great figures. He went on to greater things, I think, arguably at Sunderland. But joining us now is football fan, and I'm going to call you an author, Mark Mark Metcalf. How are you, mate? Good afternoon, uh, Charlie Hurley. As I've described him um, already, Mark. I mean, he's he's described by the uh, the Lion Roars, the Millwall fanzine, in two thousand eight as our greatest ever player. Um, it was a result of a poll taken by the fanzine. Um, and at Sunderland, the Black Cats, he's described as player of the century. Is that a fair description in your view as a, as a fan, Sunderland fan? Yeah, I mean, I'm coming up sixty two this year, so I'm. I'm fortunate that I saw uh, Charlie uh, play. Uh, it was towards the end of his career. Yeah. I have uh, one particular personal fond memory. The uh, season we were walloped uh, 8-0 at Upton Park. Uh, Jeff first scored uh, six. Uh, right, so yeah. it was something of a bitter pill that one, the first one. He actually handled into the back of the net. Uh, anyway, we played them again not too long after that. And uh, so there was a great uh, desire for retribution, certainly by winning the game. And at one point, uh, Jeff Hurst got free. He was heading through one goal and he smashed the ball towards the goal. And Charlie dived. When I say dived, more or less along the ground. And the ball hit him in the face, went wide. 
and Son had actually won the game 2-1. Um, and the cheers at that point were enormous and sort of summed up uh, Charlie's desire as a, a, as a footballer. Great footballers not only have a skill, they also have a great drive and determination to um, show that skill and also to have a never-say-die attitude no matter what the score is. And uh, Charlie Hurley possessed that and more, both for Millwall and for Sunderland, but also for Ireland. And he uh, regularly, as a proud Irishman, travelled overnight on Saturdays to go across the Irish Sea to play for his country. And he did so often without having any sleep before they played on the Sunday afternoon. So, you know, he he had a, a loyal and passionate following, both amongst the Millwall fans, the Irish fans, and the Sunderland, and the Sunderland supporters. So, yeah, that, that, that would... I remember it well. I remember being with my dad. When I wrote Charlie's authorised biography, I did so because my father had died in 2004 and I was seeking to do something in his memory whilst also seeking to move on uh, into uh, writing more generally for a living. Mm. And, uh, and when my son came on in 2008, the book was dedicated to both uh, my son, who's called Charlie, certainly not as good a header or a footballer as Charlie <laughs> Hurley. Very few people are, of course. And, uh, and to and to, to, to my dad. Um, so no, I was very pleased for that. The book came out actually in the October of uh, 2008, came out in the weekend, this sort of same weekend, October the 4th. A uh, number of reasons uh, for that is Charlie's birthday is October the 4th. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also two significant uh, political events, uh, East London, it was the Battle of Cable Street, the, the day that uh, Charlie was born. And also it was the day that uh, a number of people set off on the Jarrow March to, where uh, there was mass unemployment. So the three connections were important to me. Uh, we had, I mean, the numbers of people who turned up to uh, the book, the book signing were extraordinary. Uh, I actually came into the town centre to Waterstones on the Friday, it was the Friday afternoon, and I couldn't understand why there were so many people there. And as I got near the Waterstones, obviously I'd never done anything like this before. I was like, what are all these people doing here? <laughs> and then, of course, I realised <laughs> they were all there. They weren't there to see me by, by <laughs> any means. In fact, there was, was a couple of instances where people told me to stop pushing in the queue, which was quite <laughs> nice, until a couple of my mates who actually were at the do said, I'm going to sit in. He wrote the book, like so. You best, you best actually let him, him in. I mean, you can't actually sign two hundred and fifty odd books in like an hour and a half. It's just, just not. It's just some, not some, possible. yeah, some you fee if you do can, that. Yeah. And then we had the similar sorts of numbers at the club shop, and we had to do on the Friday evening, which was absolutely packed out. So it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, if every day had been as good as that, being an author. I'd be a rich man. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm certainly not really. It's hard work putting together uh, books. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy, uh, a lot of patience. Uh, so, yeah, 
Oh, Charlie, yeah, very good footballer. Is the book still available out there, Mark? Is it, no, is it... it's not. The book isn't available. You can't download it for free. Okay. Uh, I mean, you can get it on eBay and things like that, but yeah, the book's yeah. rolled out in about three years. Uh, I did put out a second edition about three years ago, but unfortunately, my mate who helped us put it out at the same time as we did the highly successful uh, Fred Spikesley book. Unfortunately, yeah, David uh, died not too long after that, and mm. I haven't really sought to... Uh, find a, another publisher um, but it is available to download from my own site which is just write a Mark Metcalf go at the football section it's somewhere at the bot. it's somewhere at the bottom there or maybe she can add you know you can add the details to your own website uh, it's not Absolutely. quite the same it's not yeah, quite yeah. the same book uh, the major change to the book is that Charlie was actually voted as it comes down to in truth only the best player of the first 99 years because, in fact, we've subsequently discovered that Son of the FC was formed on the 25th of September, 1880, and not October 79. I haven't yet told Charlie that he's only the best player of the first 99 years, <laughs> in case somebody sneaks in at the very end to take away his uh, something that he's very, very, pr very, very pr proud about. I mean, how did he end up at Millwall? I mean, it's a great story in itself. Obviously, like a lot of uh, people from... His, uh, his background, uh, high levels of poverty in Ireland. So they yeah. moved from Cork almost uh, almost immediately on his birth. In fact, the, the, the next time he went back to Ireland was actually to play for Ireland 20-odd uh, years, 20 years later. Uh, he lived in East London during the Blitz. Uh, one of the uh, tragedies early in his life, he was out playing football with a great mate of his uh, called Gordon Smith. And... Uh, what happened was the, the air and sirens went off and his dad had always insisted that he come home. He was half and half. He was going to go to uh, Gordon's house. You probably know what the rest of the tale is. Mm -hmm. he, he went home. following day, he woke up. And unfortunately, his mate had been had been killed. Or the whole family had uh, been slaughtered. Um, so he was lucky in that, in, in that, in that respect. Uh, I mean, football was a different era. Obviously, Second World War. Uh, massive crowds, uh, but there wasn't the scouting systems which 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 took place. But he he played for Essex, he played good local football. Initially, he didn't have any football boots. His mum and dad couldn't afford that. And when he did get them, obviously they were his prized possessions. It's not like today. He played in them for three for three years. Uh, wouldn't my son is 13, 14 and he doesn't play in football boots and doesn't get as much kick out of them as either as well but you know that would be the situation fortunately you know we've got a better standard of living uh, uh t t today absolutely uh, yeah. so uh, so anyway he, west ham sought to sign him uh, by which point he had in fact got a job at ford's dagenham like a lot of irish people of uh, and his dad was a tool maker there charlie was an apprentice really apprentice he, he was it wasn't it wasn't a serious trade nevertheless uh, the pay he got was more than what he was offered to sign for West Ham. And in a large family, in a large family, uh, the family needed the extra pound a week. So he turned it down. Uh, he was playing for Raynham uh, Youth Club in a uh, in a final. And he uh, he actually, there was a lad there who was rated to be a top-class player. And Charlie marked him out of the game. And afterwards, Bill Voicey, who... Um, obviously worked for Millwall for a very long time. He's seen him and he said, 
Javanzi signed for uh, Millwall. Charlie's a fairly sort of matter of fact type character. Uh, and uh, when I interviewed him, he said, you know, why would anybody? He says, I was trying to take no notice of this old bloke, you know, wanting him to go away. And uh, he said, why would anybody want to sign me on the, on the basis of one, one game? Uh, but in fact, Millwall did want to sign him. Uh, and he he sat down with Bill and he sat down with uh, Charlie Hewitt, who was the manager of Millwall at the time. And he signed for the club at, a, you know, twice what his wages were at, uh, at the uh, Ford Stagenham. Yeah. Uh, what was also quite a nice story is that the foreman, where he was at, was saying, hey, Charlie, I can't tell you the Irish accent, I can't tell you any other Irish Probably accent. best you don't yeah. try, Mark. <laughs> uh, I think it's probably a wise move, to be fair. So it's, he basically said, he basically said to him, he was telling them, like, you know, you could, you know, you could get injured, you'd be better off stopping here. Oh, of course, really? all the rest of the working class <laughs> blokes where he was where he was working, they were like, "Take it, are you crackers?" <laughs> cheering him to cheering him to the rafters, you know what I mean? Come on, yeah. go on, go and do your best, like you know, like my, most working class most people, people would do. Yeah, would, yeah, yeah. They, they they would they would want one of their own. Obviously, it's a very popular song. He's one of our own. It's yeah. not just about that they're from that they're from the same area. It's because you're from the same sort of class background, isn't it? Really, it's an opportunity to get out of the grimy, uh, horrible place to work, uh, Ford Stagnum. Many, I've got many friends who have worked there. I'm, I'm not doing them a disservice by saying it was horrible. Uh, no, if you have a choice but, of, of playing so football if, for a living, Mark. Given the choice, you take, you take the football. Yeah. Of, of course you do. I mean, we've charted yeah. this extremely well in, in the book on Fred Spikes. He called him the first great working-class footballer. You know, that joy of not being, not having to go to work and, and doing something you want to do and outside. Uh, and so, you know, Charlie, uh, he was 16, uh, very good footballer, even at 16. He made his debut, his first team debut for Millwall at the age of 17. Uh, so it shows what a good player he was. Went down to Torquay. They went there and back in the same day. We're talking about uh, 1953 here, Mark, aren't we? 1954, we're talking. 1954. Uh, birthday right. in the October, played in the January, January the 30th, uh, 1954, two's a piece draw for the game. All the lads in the team are saying to him, just do your best, you'll be okay. And afterwards, they're all saying, bye, who are you? Can you play like that every week? You know, he'd made a, a real impression on on these uh, footballers. The Millwall were in the third division south. Yeah. Uh, they'd, uh, they were doing okay. And, and they did do okay the first couple of seasons. But the problem with that was that uh, to go up, you had to finish top. Uh, mm. and, and, and they didn't. They finished fifth on, 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 on one occasion, but then, then struggled a little bit. Uh, the man who had the most impression, without doubt, on Charlie as a footballer was the goalkeeper, Malcolm Phillinson, who uh, went on to replace uh, Bert the Cat Williams at uh, Wolf. Well, Rant Wanderers probably Williams probably the greatest goalkeeper that's ever played for, for for Wolves, and they've had one or two good ones over the years. But Malcolm wasn't very far behind him. He didn't play internationally because he was in Scotland, and they had a few good goalkeepers. But Malcolm's attitude was quite straightforward. Firstly, uh, even 40 years later, when Charlie seen him, Charlie referred to him as his dad. So right. that gives you an okay. idea of who was, who was in charge of that yeah. defence, basically. 
Yeah. And Malcolm was as is one, he just said, if I'm coming for the ball, get out of the way. And if you don't get out of the way, not only will I get the ball, but I'll get you. And that was Malcolm's <laughs> attitude. He was an exceptionally talented goalkeeper, very, very brave goalkeeper, and proved ultimately to be a brilliant signing uh, by Stan Cullis. Uh, played behind the great Billy Wright uh, in a fantastic fantastic Wolves team. Well, he was a a big, big impression. There were other players, uh, John Shepard, for example, up front, who was a talented goal scorer, very mobile footballer, John Shepard, and a brave brave player. I don't know if you uh, have ever interviewed his daughter, but his daughter did that fantastic uh, book. book. Yeah, Yeah, that's a really... Uh, is it just from something like the Lions Den? I'm forgetting it. In and out of the Lions Den, or something. In and out of the Lions Den. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic book. Yeah, yeah, Julie, very nice young lady. Yeah, yeah, a great, great book. I got some copies and and all that. Was delighted uh, to read it uh, as well. But the atmosphere at Millwall, according to one or two others, like Bill Lloyd, who became a goalkeeper as well, a few of them wasn't wasn't that good. Uh, Charlie Hewitt uh, was very much the old school type uh, manager, mm. and uh, he divided uh, opinion. Mark is the modern. He divided opinion. Yes, he divided. <laughs> that's, a, that's one way of putting it. Yes, cheerful indeed. Charlie Hewitt. He used to be ironically sacked on New Year's Day, which was a bit of a cruel way of being got rid of <laughs> in 1956 and replaced by Ron Gray. Now Charlie actually came into the team and he replaced what was slightly unusual. Uh, in his place, Jerry Bowler, who was also a ball-playing centre-back. Uh, Malcolm says that you could come off a game in muddy conditions, and you wouldn't have—you would have thought Jerry might have just come on at the end. So right. clean were his clothes uh, at this point. Now that definitely wasn't the case with Charlie. He got stuck in, but the admiration that the Millwall fans, and they had some hard players at uh, Millwall, Stan Anslow, who was a, a very, very good footballer, and who at one point actually was pushed upfield in one of the seasons and scored over a dozen league goals. He was a, you know, there's that there's that wall down the side, isn't there, at Millwall? And, he, you know, he, he was he was fairly well known for putting a pause in there, outside left or out in, 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 into that wall, to be, to be fair. He's still a good footballer. He took good penalties as well, as I understand it. Um, Pat Seward, obviously a very good, talented uh, player for for Millwall. But Charlie was loved not only because of his never-see-a-die attitude and his head and ability, because he could get the ball down and he could play. He could pass. And that was unusual. He took a gamble in the early stages at his career at Millwall to try and play. He He was quite quiet, you know, he's taking in the things that were going on around him and learning. But at the same time, he did want to express the fact that he had had skills. I mean, he, he, and the fact that he tried to play football actually cost cost him when he went to Sunderland because in his first two games, uh, Sunderland conceded seven and six. And as he says, he went to the bingo one night and the bloke said seven and six was Charlie Hurley worth it. Uh, so that was that was the case with Charlie. Uh, and he did, you know, he had a, a very poor, poor couple of games. But yeah, so he was a very, very, good, very good player. He was in, he was in, at the same time, he had to do his national service and that cost him perhaps the opportunity, well, it did cost him the opportunity to play in the big game 
of the 1950s, which was the uh, Birmingham City uh, game uh, in the quarterfinals, I believe, in the FA Cup. And Millwall had uh, deservedly, and obviously, even now I'm still happy about that, managed to beat the uh, reigning FA Cup uh, holders, which was Newcastle, Newcastle United. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some great pictures, isn't there, of yeah, that yeah. game with That's the fans images, hanging on yeah. to the turnstile, hanging on to the the the, the, uh, yeah, the floodlights, yeah. 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 And, yeah. and you, there's some fantastic ones. Now, what had happened is that he'd actually said something slightly out misplaced and so the uh, he wasn't going to be allowed off camp anywhere to play in the game <laughs> but in fact it was already agreed in advance that he wasn't going to play in that match they were going to keep the same side actually right. it worked against Millwall because Birmingham they they beat them easily beat them for the 4-1 and obviously they went on to reach the final uh, uh, they beat they were beaten by Manchester City in, in, in the final. Arguably, Birmingham's greatest day up until they won the, the League Cup, maybe 10 years or a decade ago. So, so Charlie was, you know, Charlie was playing football. He, he also had a spell, uh, which I'll come, uh, the reason why he came back into the team was quite straightforward. He, uh, he, he, he was missing for quite a, quite a long time because he suffered an injury whilst playing for uh, the Army team. Right. He had actually been said it had actually been said to him he didn't have to play in this particular game, but he thought he would use it as a bit of a warm-up for his international debut against Spain. And the problem with that was that he uh, got injured and he couldn't play. And uh, he came back into the team and they played him centre-forward. Um, actually got well beat Millwall in both of those games he came back. He scored in both of them. And if you ask Charlie now, he would tell you that given the opportunity, he would have played centre-forward. His career would have been as a centre-forward and right. he regretted that at, at the end. Now, during the period of time Charlie was there, to give you some idea of how well he was playing, is he was selected for the first side from England to play in European football. So he was selected for the London side against Frankfurt, 24th of October, 1955, game played at Wembley. England, and this was a combination uh, team, Mike, wasn't it? London. It was a combination team. Combined. Uh, so him, and, him and Vic Groves were the two from the third division. Uh, yeah. Bobby Robson, for example, was playing. And 2-0 uh, down, the one three two. Papers generally agreed that if he wasn't the best player on the field, he's very close to it. Now, we're talking here, a lad who'd just gone age 19, who was showing that he was a good footballer in third division football. He could get the ball, he would fight hard for the ball. But against the top-class footballers, he could also play. Problem was, he was injured by the time next time came along. And unfortunately, he never played European football again, which is why he was so keen, in particular, to play for, for Ireland. The Ireland side, yeah. 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 Now, he's, he's, he, he made his debut for Ireland before he went to Sunderland. It was in the summer of 57, end of the season, 56-57. Cut a very long story short, uh, with less than 20 seconds remaining, Ireland were beating England 1-0. He come into the tide after they'd been hammered 5-1 at Wembley. Uh, game was played at Dalymont Park in Dublin. First time he'd been back to Ireland. Uh, and if if Ireland had held on to that, uh, they what would have meant is Ireland would have travelled to Denmark, which they subsequently won that game. 
And if they'd won that game, the two teams would have played off again for uh, to go to, to Sweden. Uh, he's up against Tommy yeah. Taylor and he did very well. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if ironies, um, John Attio in particular uh, scored the goal, if I recall rightly. John Attio was one of those players which Charlie often struggled against. You have certain players who you struggle against and Attio was definitely one of them. His, his, his mobility and, and in the air always meant that a very good game of football was guaranteed between those two between those two footballers. The other person who Charlie might have struggled against when he when he played, if there was the things he did generally pretty well against one to ones, um, was Derek Dogan. Him and Derek Dogan are right battle royal, and uh, Win Davies, uh, who who was Walsh, also a, uh, yeah, great, yeah. a great great yeah. footballer, played for Bolton and played for Newcastle. Yeah. Those 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 were the those were the the three players you could see against the rest. He did he did pretty well. He played against Greaves, for example, at Roker Park on a number of occasions. And as Jimmy said, uh, he never scored against them. A bit different down at uh, White Hart Lane, uh, where Jimmy <laughs> scored, scored a few goals against Charlie and some of the other 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 players. But it was said of that Tottenham side of the six. No, I better not say that, otherwise I'm going to get into trouble of making some minor for the top ones, but <laughs> so we'll see. So, so he moved, he moved for a fee of 18,000 in the October 57, plus a friendly, which brought in £3,000. Different so times, 21,000. You know, you'll work that out. That, that was the highest transfer fee at the time Yeah, was uh, John Charles, which was sixty-five thousand pounds now if you work that out so it was a third of the highest transfer fee so a comparable figure in today's football is that charlie hurley would have been transferred at the age of 21 just 21 for a figure of about 35 million pounds that gives you an idea it's a sort of sums of money that rio ferdinand was transferred from west ham to leeds and then from leeds on to manchester united it's, so it gives you just some idea of his standing. And that was despite the fact that his injury had left him with uh, a little bit, a, it, it reduced con- his ability certainly to make a sliding tackle, which were mm. a key component of the uh, of the game at that time. You can't get away with such tackles, of course, today. No, no question about that. So he would have been happy to, to be to be fair with that. So it gives you it gives you a, a good standard of, of how how good he was. Initially, when he went to Sunderland, well, he was rubbish. To be fair, uh, he struggled. He struggled badly. The seven and six, but then the third game, nil nil against Preston North End. So he was on he was on his way, uh, but Sunderland actually were a, a brand new team. Alan Brown was putting together a brand new team. Interesting manager, Alan Brown. Uh, certainly left Burnley with a tremendous group of footballers who went subsequently went on to uh, win the win the league in 59-60. Uh, but he decided to get rid of a lot of the old guard and probably too quickly. He probably did that just that little bit too quickly. And some of them were relegated at the end of the 57-58 season. They should, in fact, have been relegated at the end of the previous season when they were let off lightly despite having been shown to have made under-the-counter payments. Uh, 
right. the same time every other club was doing 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 the same. That would be true to say. But they yeah, should have it might had have a... been a strange move, actually, Mark. But it wasn't because I think I'm right in saying that that Charlie Hewitt was actually scouting for Sunderland at the time, wasn't he? So it was him that recommended Charlie Hurley. Uh, you might, you might be right. You, you could, could be right. Uh, if it's in the book, I'd be right. But you could, be, you, you won up on me, then Neil. You won <laughs> up on me. I can't remember that. <laughs> nice one. And Charlie would go on to be some, well, the Football Writers Association Football of the Year. Comes second to Bobby Moore, I should say. He did. He did in sixty-four. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, that was the year at Sunderland uh, came second to Leeds United to gain promotion. It took Sunderland a while to get back into the first division. Obviously, 58, it was, uh, we always had on the front of the programme yeah. that we'd never been relegated, played every season in the first division. And that wasn't the case after 57-8. Struggled badly, 58-59. And uh, at one point, there was a serious threat that go down to the third division. That would never happen to Sunderland, of course. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, they haven't watched them now for four seasons. Haven't watched them before. Well, not four. Obviously, didn't see them last season. Although I did, I saw them play with Lincoln at one point. Uh, so we got we got that, and and we struggled. How did Charlie 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 is popularly known at Sunderland as the King? Okay, and uh, he got that reputation after scoring a number of goals. Uh, against Luton Town at the end of the 1960, and he was given that definition by Vince Wilson in the Sunday Sunday Mirror. That season, 60-61, obviously Tottenham uh, did the double. Sunderland really should have beaten them at Roker Park. We were very unfortunate not to do that. Got hammered in the replay, 5-0. My dad, who went to that game, didn't go to a lot of away games, to be fair. He said, you know, it was fantastic. Tottenham team, you know, one of the best that he, 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 he's seen, to be fair. So it was no, there was no shame in that. And it showed something that they could get, they could do well. In the next two seasons, they, they, they lost out on the last game, uh, particularly unlucky uh, against Chelsea in 62-63. Uh, Chelsea need to beat us and then beat Portsmouth, which they subsequently did. Uh, probably one of the most unusual goals. I always like telling this story. I was scored at Roper Park. The ball came across and went into the goal of uh, Tommy Harmer's uh, middle bit, as they would say. And so we were well and truly fucked. Um, <laughs> so anyway, 63-64 had a tremendous side. Again, uh, got to the quarterfinals and were beaten by Manchester United after after one of the games in particular, uh, arguably that there was up to 100,000 people turned up to the quarterfinal replay uh, against Manchester United. Uh, so great was the crowd that the Manchester United players uh, had to walk to the ground from a good mile and a half away. Wow. Uh, so wow. there was massive numbers. Sadly, a couple of people were killed. Uh, wow. Too many people uh, present. Um uh, Anyways, that finished as a draw. Both times, Sunderland were leading until the very final minute of the game, but were hammered in the, in the replay 5-1, Dennis Law, although we were winning one out. That was down at 66,000 at Leeds Road and Huddersfield. Shows the, the glory of the FA Cup at that yeah. partic- particular point. We got promotion by uh, beating uh, Charlton Athletic 
And there's quite famous photographs of uh, Charlie going round uh, with his arms right up in the air, shouting and cheering with the whole crowd, chatting, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. And that was the period of time uh, also where we had played the previous season against Everton. Who were We had played Everton that season in the league. They were the league champions. And we beat them 3-1. We used to come out of the, 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 the Z cars thing. And this particular event, they came out to Charlie is my darling. And he was. No question about that. Charlie Hurley was like the darling of the crowd. Mid-60s, you could often go to the ground and you would hear when they got corners, people would want Charlie to go forward. That was an idea given to him by Stan Anderson, who said, look, you need, you, you should push forward. And he scored a lot of goals, um, which is one of the reasons he would have preferred to be a centre-forward as well. And you could hear the Charlie, Charlie. And you can hear match of the day, 67-68, away to Coventry, someone get the twos apiece draw. And you can hear the summer fans shouting, Charlie, Charlie. So the desire for him to play was a very, very strong one. What also endeared Charlie to the, the crowd was not only his on-field attributes, but his off-field attributes. He would stand for ages and ages and ages and sign autographs. He would go to events. He would talk to, to uh, the fans. It's a, it's a part of the game which is sadly for lots of different reasons, has been has been lost. It's been eroded. Football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and and so, you know, and like I said, when we did when we had the book out, and he came to some of the events, I mean it was it was just it was hard. You know, it was heartwarming. We yeah. had lads who were coming up and saying, "This is the first book I bought since I left school," and these were blokes in their fifties, which was sad in a way, but at the same time it showed what sort of stature that the man had, not yes, only as a player, yes, but yes. As, a, as an individual, as somebody that fans could identify with. You know, he was a well-paid uh, player, Charlie, uh, at Sunderland. I mean, he was the, I mean, he was the third highest best player in the in the 60s, uh, which is the reason ultimately why he stayed at Sunderland, I would, I would, I would contend and, and argue. Uh, Throughout this period, he continued to play for uh, for his country. Uh, he was the best player for his country. Uh, that title could have uh, been challenged uh, by Johnny Giles, but Johnny didn't do as much travelling for Charlie. I mean, Charlie went everywhere with his team. And there's a famous, very, very famous game where he plays away to Poland and there's 100,000 at the match and the crowd are chanting his name. They're right. singing his name. Because he was that good, that good a footballer, and that well-known player, you know. So he he was by no means uh, in the shadow of uh, of of players. Uh, Johnny Crossan, who played for Standard Liège against uh, the Real Madrid team, who were a very good team, you know, basically said Johnny's still very much alive. He's got a, he's one uh, exceptionally uh, good autobiography. He said Charlie could have played anywhere. He said no, no doubt about that. He had that ability. He had he had those 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 skills uh, to do, to do so. He was the best centre half in English football in the mid sixties. I think that's that's what you'd have to say. And whilst he played for my own team, and I'm very delighted for that. It's a great shame that between sixty two, it's a shame someone didn't go up in sixty two, and he could have been seen 
at his at the on the wider stage, so to speak, when he was actually yeah, at, yeah, yeah. coming towards coming towards that 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 situation. Uh, that was the thing, but you know, he, you know, he, at the same time, he's, he's, he has the adoration of Son of Francis. Still, not unusual to hear uh, the, the song of "Who's the Great Centre Half the World Has Ever Seen." It's still not unusual to hear that at the football. Not as regular as it used to be, but it's not. It's by no means unusual. And uh, you know, uh, and when he was able and was still going to. Uh, you know, big occasions. He came to Doctor's Day, for example, at yeah. Millwall in 2007. And I know that him and Malcolm Finlayson, uh, and and you know, they got a great reception. I know that they they were really heartwarmed by that occasion. Um, you know, so you know, he has a great great admiration. Obviously, he went to be manager of Redden. He did pretty well. I suppose the whole time <laughs> Redden can be summed up by the fact that he was associated with Robin Friday. Well, that it was, was going to be a point I was going to, <laughs> going to ask you about because it, it, I'm he just reading said he was the notes here. Yeah, he just said he was. He said he was mad. So there's no other words to use that I can <laughs> I can use about him. Obviously, he had to move genius, him on. Genius and madness. But, yeah, in, yeah, you know. And, uh, and Charlie did okay at Redden. He took them to promotion. He'd had a brief period at Bolton between '69 and '71. Didn't yeah. do well. Bolton didn't do well by any shape form. Of fashion, uh, he lost. He definitely lost uh, the remaining speed that he had, and he struggled in a poor in a poor team. And uh, then he became his his decision to not take the job at first division Sheffield United was based as the manager during his period at, at Redden was based on the fact that Joan, his wife, she didn't want to move back north. She said, "You know, we're staying. We're staying down south. That's where I'm from." Uh, London lass, yeah. um, and uh, still playing tennis. Uh, <laughs> she is, so she's still fit and healthy, uh, and so that's the reason. So that was a poor decision on Charlie's Charlie's part. Uh, very much a family man, um, yeah. and you know, a good, very good footballer. Uh, doing the book with him, I mean, I'll tell you straight, I would got the book done. I'd finished the book before I approached him to do it. He would have quite rightly gone, well, I know. But who are you, basically? So yeah. I more or less went to him and said, look, it's done. Do you want a piece of the action? And then he went, yeah, OK, that was the case. We got large numbers of people to come to the events. When I say we, him plus me, that would be the truth of the matter. Although without the book, of course, we wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't have been able to yeah, do in it. The first place. Uh, yeah. So, but, you know, so did play some role in that. But under yeah. no illusions that people would turn up because of myself. Um and the book was very well received, and I, I'm not. Sh I mean, it's the best-selling book on any single Sunderland footballer. I think possibly the biggest-selling book on Sunderland uh, is Lance Hardy's book about the 1973 FA Cup winning team, which, for those if anybody hasn't got it and just wants, you know, a decent book, is a fantastic book. It really is exceptionally well written. And bit of a tragedy that Lance died. Not so, not so, not so long ago. Really, at, at a you know very, very early age. Really, um, so that's that's Charlie Hurley. Uh, Charlie's still yeah. with us, Mark. I see. I'm just looking at. He is, yes. He um, is, yes. And so, thankfully, still still with us. Aged 84, um, born in 1936, as we've said at the start. He played 105 times for the Lions, scoring twice. 
402 appearances for Sunderland between 57 and 69. 23 goals for Sunderland. And then to conclude his playing career, at least 43 appearances with Bolton. Three goals. Took the 550 Football League appearances and 28 goals across those teams. And then 40 appearances for the Republic of Ireland, scoring twice. And as, he was as... for many, many years. I mean, you know, 40 appearances, that's a, a fantastic record. One with the Millwall, three, 38 with Sunderland, and uh, one with uh, Bolton Wanderers when he was, you know, and, got 20, and you know, he uh, he loved he loved playing for his country. Well, he loved playing football, to be fair, you know, first and foremost. And just as importantly, he loved being properly paid for his football. And that was an important quality. Charlie was nobody's fool. Yeah. And he had, you know, he would tell you, most Southern fans would hate this for being said, but Charlie's great hero was Jimmy Hill. Because Jimmy Hill meant that he got properly paid busted for the, up and then for the efforts wage, that for the yeah. efforts that he that he put that he put in, uh, and he you know Charlie was Charlie wanted to play for Sunderland, but he was nobody's fool. He wanted to be well rewarded for the 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 the, the efforts His popularity that, that absolutely he put in absolutely absolutely the case. Uh, yeah, and he, he played in a good team that sixty fourteen. Just to say, as I said, it's just a shame they didn't get promoted. Just that couple of years earlier, when he was he was at his at, at his peak, you know. Funnily enough, I was going to say that he's actually one of three brothers to play for Millwall. Chris Hurley, who was also a central defender, okay, and also uh, signed from Raynham Town, actually scored an own goal on his debut. I think he played about four or five games for us and scored an own goal against Man against Mansfield when we got whooped up at uh, Field Mill one year. <laughs> And there was actually a third brother called Arthur. Didn't know that. And uh, yeah, but yeah, but this came from Charlie himself because uh, <laughs> when we were writing, or when I was writing a Millwall Who's Who book, uh, we were trying to find Chris, and he casually mentioned this third brother, right. Arthur, who'd played a few games for us, okay. uh, A team games, reserve team games, that kind of thing, uh, but. Unfortunately, I think all three brothers have fallen out and uh, that they no longer speak. So, that's a shame. Bit of a sad tale, but absolutely great player. Somebody that will be remembered long beyond his years. I think, think, yeah. I think Charlie will be remembered for a long, a long time. I don't think there'll be any doubt whatsoever. I mean, it's the Charlie Hurley Gates out there, yeah, at the ground. I mean, there was a plan to. Uh, some mates of mine set away a campaign for a statue, which I, I said I think it was especially as it was 2017, and we were struggling, and that was that was a premature move. Mm. Uh, of the money that we got, we put towards a new mural at the ground. So there's a mural of Charlie at the ground, and just this last few weeks, there's a new banner of Charlie has been uh, done by the uh, it's called the Red and White Army, uh, which very pleased, took some photographs, uh, going to make sure Charlie gets some copies uh, of that. And, uh, so yeah, he'll, he'll be remembered for a long time, Will Charlie. Uh, I mean, I, one of the, it's too early to say now, but, and I don't, I won't be around when the possibility of that will happen. But one of the jobs I've got is I put 
plaques up for the Professional Footballers Association. Now you have to be dead for 20, for 20 years. So, you know, I'd hope in the future somewhere and someone, somebody will put up a plaque uh, to Charlie to that in that in that way. Uh, but yeah, he'll he'll be remembered. I mean, one of the reasons he'll also be remembered, you know, and this is not <laughs> blowing my own trumpet. The fact that we got the book as well, haven't we? Yeah. You know, and it, and one of the things, you know, initially was like, well, I'm not sure about the book, and um, and I think John said, John Bessie just said to him, yeah, what do you mean you're not sure about a book? It's, you know, why wouldn't you want a book about it? It's done. You know, get on with it. Basically, that was that was the case really. So. You know, he's, he's, his history is, is recorded. Uh, it exists. And as I said, large numbers of people want a copy of the book. They bought copies of the book. And, um, you know, they, they were placed, placed to have got copies. So, you know, it's all down there, isn't it, really? It's all That's down there. In an, era, in an era where he didn't feature too many times on the television and the rest of it, the book. Absolutely. Dance yeah. as, a, as a sort of, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a memory. Of, of, of Charlie. That's wonderful stuff, Mark. I, just to conclude the show, listeners, I found uh, so the Irish newspaper, the, the Sunday World from 2000, they had like a, an all-time great article, all great, all-time great Irish side. Centre-halves, they had Charlie Hurley alongside Paul McGrath in, in their ideal side. And little, just a little paragraph, which I thought I'd read to conclude the show. Charlie was one of the Republic's best at a time when that wasn't a passport to riches, Story about Charlie Hurley and his contemporaries travelling over on the Hollyhead boat the night before matches are not tales, they are true. For physical strength, tackling, awareness and commitment to the cause, Charlie Hurley was truly special. And I think everything that you've said, Mark, reinforces that short paragraph in the Sunday world in 2000. So wonderful stuff. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Mark. It's been very, Thank very you very much for inviting me. Lovely to Thank meet you, you today. All right, thanks really, for your time. Really I hope stuff, very mate. much that... Uh, Sunderland will be playing Millwall next season you may for those who don't know I was responsible for facilitating the Millwall fans who went on the pitch at Sunderland in 2017-18 to make the presentation to the Bradley Lowry Foundation for the right. funds that they had raised towards, towards that my son and myself also went on and collected the banner which they'd done at the away game at Millwall. Uh, it'd be nice to say that there was anybody saw that, but as nearly 90% of my mates downstairs were having a pint, it would be <laughs> an inaccurate representation. So thank you. The moment that. happened. That's wonderful stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Thanks Mark. very much, Neil. All Thanks very much, Nick. Thanks for thank inviting me. Cheers for now, man. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Some people take the straight path in life, but at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. 
They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, ranked in the top five for best online bachelor's programs. To learn more, visit asuonline.asu.edu.